0: frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown american drink go to grown Superfood.com forward slash john and order today getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home
1: isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking what's your secret begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only 14.95 Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at Byte.com. That's BYTE.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: This is the John Fugelsang Podcast.
2: This is Tell Me Everything. I'm Joe Sudmay, guest hosting for John tonight. And we're going to talk politics. We're going to talk, we're going to talk with some election gurus. That's what I call them. So, uh, yeah, we'll have some fun. Uh, give us a call. You know the number, 866-997-4748. I want to get as many calls in as possible. It's what I really like doing. And we've got some terrific guests tonight. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Jordan Zakarin. He's been on this show several times. I've been able to talk to Jordan many times. He's one of my must-reads. He writes a terrific Substack called The Progress Report. He's a reporter and editor. He's based in New York City, and he's also one of the great people who cover politics and the labor movement at More Perfect Union. So we're going to dive into a great new report he did just yesterday that the losses for Moms for Liberty— much bigger last week than we thought and look when moms for liberty loses (laughs) democracy wins freedom of speech wins so i I can't wait to talk to jordan about that he got some really great data on that we'll also dive into some of the latest movement in labor terrific movements in labor and uh I just also want to kind of get uh, Jordan's take on just politics at large. He's a very, very astute observer. So that'll be great. And then in the next hour, the next hour will be fun, too, because we've got the the crew from Split Ticket. Now, Split Ticket is a group of political and election enthusiasts. And they were doing mapping and modeling, and they kind of formed a group um, through election Twitter back when remember remember Twitter when it was fun anyways um, (laughs) they're just it's just a great group I've been able to talk to them many times about their election analyses so tonight we're going to be joined by Laksha Jain, Armin Thomas and Leon Sitt and I want to get their take on what happened last week what it means for 2024. One of the reasons I really like talking to these guys is they're kind of They're not caught up in the D.C. conventional wisdom BS, and I find reading their stuff is very clear, very concise. It's data-driven, and it makes sense to me. And uh, so, yeah, so I always appreciate the opportunity to talk to them. And in the final hour, one of the great things about this show, to me, is the regular appearances by keith price and nothing makes me happier than when i get to talk to keith so we will be talking to the one and only comedy daddy in the final hour so much news i want to cover in between i mean it's just been a big day on capitol hill for a variety of reasons okay for a variety of reasons the first and we'll start with the the fact that the new speaker, that extremist Christian nationalist, Mike Johnson, had to bypass the ultra Republicans in his party, of which he truly is one, to get a vote on the continuing resolution to keep the government open. Now, this was what's called a, quote-unquote, clean continuing resolution, meaning it keeps the government open at last year's levels, um, part of it until January of next year, and then the other part until early February. There was no gimmicky shit in it. They didn't try and do any of their crazy anti-abortion amendments or anti-immigrant. It's just clean CR. And that is not what the Freedom Caucus wanted. They are MAD mad. Now, this bill still has to pass the Senate, and it will in the next couple days. It has to pass by November 17th for Biden to sign it. Now, we know it's going to pass because next week is Thanksgiving. And let me tell you, I've been in D.C. a long time. There's nothing that motivates members of Congress more than getting the hell out of D.C. for a holiday. So the fact that actually is <laughs> one of the smartest things Kevin McCarthy did to make sure the government stayed open was to end the, the continuing resolution uh, November 17th. Now, his continuing resolution, the one that caused him to deposed as Speaker, passed by a margin of 335 to 91. It was 209 Democrats, 126 Republicans, 90 Republicans against it, one Democrat. Mike Johnson's continuing resolution was vote was 336 to 95, 209 Democrats. Again, 127 Republicans, 93 Republicans against two Democrats against. So basically, once again, The government isn't going to be shut down because of House Democrats. They have done their job. And what they did, this is the, (laughs) this is, this is, so in the House, you know, there's 435 of them. So it's really tightly controlled, right? They have this thing called the Rules Committee that passes a rule that sets the parameters of the debate. And you have to, so they come to the floor and they have a vote on the rule that says we can debate the bill. Well, On the rule votes, Republicans always vote for it. When they're in power, Democrats always vote against. It's just perfunctory. Now, several times this year, though, rules have failed because Republicans voted against their own party's rule. It's just like never happened when Pelosi was Speaker. Never happened happened several times to Kevin McCarthy, and it was going to happen to Mike Johnson. So they did this thing called the suspension calendar, where if you put something on the suspension calendar, it doesn't go to rules, but it has to pass with two-thirds. That's how they passed this. So Mike Johnson really needed Democrats to get this done. Now, the other part of Capitol Hill that's been very busy today, I just want to read a couple headlines. Representative Tim Burchett accuses McCarthy of elbowing him. Yes, Burchett was talking. McCarthy walked by and elbowed him in the kidney. I'm not kidding. Like that really happened. (laughs) I was actually talking to a reporter who reported on it. So that's a big story on the Hill. GOP Senator Mark Wayne Mullen tried to start a fight. Like when I say fight, he literally wanted to fight um, Sean O'Malley, who's the president of the Teamsters. I'll talk to Jordan Zakarin about that. But my view is... You don't want to fight a teamster. But that's just me. Marjorie Taylor Greene called one of her GOP colleagues, um, uh, Daryl Issa, a pussy. Pardon my language, but that's her word. And then the ex-fundraiser for George Santos pled guilty to posing as a congressional aide to raise campaign cash. And apparently we're going to get a report from the Ethics Committee this week on George Santos. Then James Comer who's the chair of the House Oversight Committee, who's obsessed with Hunter Biden's dick pics, he got really, 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 really mad when he was challenged about a conflict of interest that might have enriched his brother. You know, he's been going after Joe Biden and Joe Biden's brother and Hunter, and it's just a big mess. He got so mad that he called Jared Moskowitz a smurf. So... (laughs) Congressman Jared Moskowitz from Florida. (laughs) Moskowitz talked to CNN afterwards and he said Comer needs a mental health day. But he wasn't upset about the Smurf comment because I'm living rent free in his head. So that was just Capitol Hill today. One good thing happened because of House Democrats and the rest is just the MAGA Republicans being MAGA Republicans. That is the Republican Party. Let's get on the phones. Uh, Sean in California is on the phone. Sean, how are you doing?
3: Brother Joe, I'm doing good. I I just it's a great opening. You know, it's been uh, one of those times right now where, you know, um, you're looking at this this faux speaker um, doing the same exact thing as McCarthy. But they put this they put us our country through this mess. Because the Republican Party is a mess. And my point is, you know, that uh, I'll tell you what, regarding who runs for president, because Dean had kind of mentioned that earlier in his show, is that, you know, it's what they stand for. They do not want democracy. And so it's really what their platform is. I don't give a shit who we run against, Joe. I'm tired of, you know, who's going to do this? Who's You know, look, the Republican Party does not want democracy because the vast majority of the American people don't like anything they stand for. Nothing. There's not one fucking thing that the vast majority, when I say vast majority, I'm talking 60% or more. Gun reform. Um, women's privacy and uh, medical rights. They're, they don't stand for anything. Healthcare, for Christ's sake, going further on, on women's rights. They don't stand for any uh, tax, fair taxation. The vast majority of the American people want the super duper rich to pay their fair share because I can't pay a tax attorney. To save me three million dollars by paying them a hundred grand, you know. I mean, it's all messed up. But I'll tell you what: if we show up and we continue to show up at the ballot box, eventually, Joe, we will make them go extinct. Yeah. And we, what I don't mean is extinct like we harm them and kill them. I'm saying that they'll be marginalized to the point where, you know, they'll be out there but they won't have any political power. And we're at this point in history, people, where we have to take it serious. And I think we should take it serious all the time because this is our country and we need to make it cultivated to make it better. And and part of that is being involved and engaged and making sure every election counts. And there's elections all the time. So you got to pay attention and young folks, Young folks right now, they have so much energy. Do not lose sight because you – this is my advice to young folks, and whatever that means. Because I'm old, I've been involved in a lot of these little fights politics and politics and done some good things here in California. Young folks, don't just think because you won one, won one election, or you did that and you worked, that that's the end of it. It's never the end of it. You've got to continue to fight in every election for all the things for your future, for your kids' future, for your grandchildren's future. Even if you don't have kids or grandchildren, it's someone else's kids and grandchildren that you're trying to help, you know, make better in the future. And so it always matters to be involved. And it doesn't take that much time. That's the thing I always want to tell young folks. You don't have to be an expert on anything. What you have to be is involved for a couple hours a month. Go and check out your different political parties. I don't care if you check out the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, but go check them out in your county electionaries your local politics, and you learn things. You'll talk to people, and you'll have common ground or not common ground. But if you sit back and watch it on your smartphone or your TV screen you might get gaffed and you might end up without a democracy and without a voice.
2: You know, um, Sean, that last line it really resonates because if you look, I, I, I know a lot of people are upset with Biden for a lot of reasons, and we all are, I mean. It's like, you don't marry the president. You want someone who will, by and large, do most of what you're hoping to accomplish and try and make the world a better place and the country a better place. But Donald Trump and the Republican Party have made it very clear where they stand. Now, I've watched him up close for a long, long time. You have, too. Um, You know, I've known he was using Nazi rhetoric. I uh, uh, my Absolutely. friends were telling me back in twenty fifteen my friend David, whose dad was who fled Germany in twenty in the thirties, said this is reminding me of the thirties in Germany. My friend Kathleen Friedel wrote a piece at Huffington in March of twenty sixteen It's fascism, folks, and there was just Absolutely. this refusal to accept it now, I have noticed over the past few days finally reporters are starting to say and you're seeing headlines, he's invoking Hitler. The the Times did it a couple weeks ago on something he wrote, which is important. The but Vermin. I saw, it yes. yeah, the Vermin line really kind of broke through and let people understand. And the other thing is, look at Project 2025. This This entity. Hello. This, right? This thing that has been pulled together by Republicans lays out their plans for the next administration, assuming it's going to be Trump, they assume it's going to be Trump. It yep. will be, it, like, if you aren't a rich white guy... Christian-rich white guy, there's no place for you in that. And they are going to be ruthless. And they have said it. Um, Stephen Miller and Stephen Chung, both top aides to Trump, have both basically told The Times and The Washington Post this weekend that they are going to come after their opponents in a vicious way. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but not much. So, you know, this is a very dangerous time. And this election, we always say this election is important because every election is important. But seriously, you know, if you listen to their words, they mean it. You know that, Sean. Yes. I know a lot of our if listeners is, do. But, man, it's if scary. If I could just
3: say one more thing, I'll tell you sure. what. Brother Joe, you are right on. I'm telling you that this is why I don't care who we face in the Republican Party in this point in time in history. They have an agenda. Their agenda is they don't want democracy. They don't mm-hmm. want people having their own word at the ballot box because they don't like the fact that the majority of the american people very diverse as we are that we can be diverse equitable and prosperous for all of us they hate it so make sure people to fight hard because they're not playing around. I don't care who the candidate is. I don't even care Chris Christie. I don't want to hear people saying, oh, I'd be okay with Chris Christie. No, you mm-hmm. wouldn't. Their agenda mm-hmm. is the same. Chris Christie is, is just 2.0 Mitt flip-flop etch-a-sketch Romney. He'll, he'll flip-flop anytime they tell him what to do. He just might be smarter about it than Donald bin Laden. And, and I think Donald bin Laden is the easier candidate to beat, but that's not the point. I just want people engaged, Joe, like you. Anytime we're engaged, and we have been in these last few elections, but to me, that's just a sliver. We need to be engaged all the time, you know, all year round. All It's part of our lives in this country. If you're not engaged... You can get gaffed. You can have everything taken away if you do not pay attention to what's going on. You don't want rich and poor. I've been to South America. I've been to all these places that have rich and poor. We don't want that. We want an equitable thing where there are rich people, there are poor people, but there's a very strong middle class that could have a very good quality of life. That would be my, you know, idealistic goal. Well,
2: that's what, that, that's what, that's what, that's what, Biden says he wants, and that's why he's been so strongly pro-union. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes with uh, Jordan Sakharin too, because it is, you know, I have to say, I'm still so impressed. And I think, you know, especially as someone who came of age during the Reagan era when he was so anti-union and the anti-union sentiment that took over in the 80s, and to see a president of the United States walk a pick. Picket line. I still, I just think that that is so important, and I just want to let me just yeah, read the quote good. from this yeah. guy Stephen Chung, who was telling the Post that um, when he was talking about um, you know uh, Trump making, uh, he was dismissing the idea that Trump was invoking dictators like Hitler and in mass murders like. Hitler and Mussolini, he said, those who try to make that ridiculous assertion are clearly snowflakes grasping for anything because they are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome and their entire existence will be crushed when President Trump returns to the White House. Now, that's a pretty ominous thing. And that includes a lot of us. They <laughs> want to crush a lot of us. That's the mindset they're, they're going into 2024 with. And we have to be aware mm-hmm. of it. Sean, well, let me
3: up. say one more Go thing ahead. really quick, sure, brother, sure. if I can. I'll sure. tell you what. Yes, they like to call us snowflakes. But let me tell you one thing, motherfuckers. When you have a bazillion snowflakes, that's a fucking coat of snow you ain't going to be able to deal with. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah we're the snowflakes but they're the ones who are always whining about everything anyways sean good to talk to you we're going to take a break here on tell me everything on sirius xm progress we'll be back in just a few minutes
4: Freaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do.
2: Right now, I'm joined by someone who is such an astute observer of American politics, writes the terrific Substack Progress Report. I love it. I love reading it. I learn every single time. Also works for More Perfect Union Welcome back to the show, Jordan Zakarin. How are you?
5: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me as always. Uh, always like coming on and uh, especially because you say so many nice things about me. It's always a nice <laughs> little boost.
2: <laughs> well, it, the thing is, it's all true. And uh, as anyone who's heard you on the show or read your, read your newsletter. But one of the things, um, and uh, Chris was uh, was really happy you were joining us tonight, too, because we have both been... Obsessed in a disturbing way with Moms for Liberty and kind Mm. of their, their, you know, I, I don't want to say meteoric rise because I know they were out there planning and plotting for a while, but they certainly did seem to take a lot of places by storm. And, Last week was just not a good week for them. It's almost like the light of day shining on them um, didn't really work. Uh, and you actually dug into it in a way that nobody else has. You actually got their their endorsed candidates. Tell us, um, tell us how they fared last week, Jordan.
5: Uh, in a word, poorly. I think would be the word to. to uh, that's actually kind, of putting it putting it kindly. I, I, like I like you said, I found i dug up their list of candidates they had actually put this behind um, i guess they tried to delete it from the website but nothing on the internet ever really gets deleted and um for better or worse and in my case down there 134 i believe they endorsed 134 candidates directly and um about 41 and that's like a 29 percent win rate which um you know for this, this this group that's supposed to be a you know a wrecking ball and, and remaking public education in the united states um you know, they may disagree with the way math works, but I think even they they would say that 30% is a big failure.
2: Yeah. I, I was really struck by that. Um, that, uh, Under 30 percent of their candidates won. And and again, it's especially because like um, kind of the media coverage of them over the past couple of years has been like they are this force majeure in American politics and, you you know, kind of unstoppable. And it seemed what stopped them was the fact that people found out what they were doing um, to the schools around the country. And, and it was really interesting to me, and we, I had seen, like, um, you know, I was doing coverage last week here on SiriusXM Progress. Um, we saw, you know, there were, I, I saw, I, you know, it was identified in different states. But the losses really happened across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about some of, some of the places where they actually um, got clobbered.
5: Yeah, you know, what's interesting about them is that they, uh, to get clobbered, and a lot of their candidates, people they supported. So a lot of people like use their training, or you know, they they uh, Moms for Liberty gave some encouragement, but didn't officially endorse them. Or people didn't seek their endorsements because they know how toxic that brand is. So there's no way to know how many people ran with that sort of like Moms for Liberty politics. There's a lot of local organizations that that propped, uh, you know, the, one of these right wing candidates that maybe weren't officially endorsed by Moms for Liberty, but in my research, even those people got clobbered, right? Um, so, you know, look at Central Bucks uh, in Bucks County. which was a really uh, national story of this uh, pretty much a swing district, this big county in Pennsylvania, and they were overtaken in 2021 by um, just a bunch of freaks in Moms of Liberty and their their local candidates and, uh, you know, did book bans and the whole whole is treatment. And... Um, people that were not happy, and Moms Liberty only ended up endorsing one candidate there. But there was a whole slate called Bucks Forward, and they I think they went like over five or something like that. And so they you know they just all just ate dirt, and so now it's back to six to three Democrats. And so I think you see that in a lot of places, right? They're having in uh, Loudoun County in Virginia. Uh, they um, that was a big big goal, a big target of for Glenn Youngkin and his his uh, parental rights group. They they tried to create a sort of um you know haven there for right-wing parents but they lost uh i talked to people in central york district in pennsylvania that was another big one where uh actually the tea partiers had gotten to the district before the monster liberty even rose but uh did a whole bunch of book bans but even this very conservative place in pennsylvania central york it's, you know, York, pennsylvania is not a of liberalism they you know parents got together and said hey this is insane and i think it shows you that you know there's a lot of, our is really split by politics in a lot of ways but people still value public education. That's one thing that um, despite Republicans pushing vouchers everywhere, it's the one thing I think that remains people still universally value in in a similar way.
2: Yeah. You you know, um, I, I get to speak to a lot of state legislative candidates. I know you speak to a lot of candidates, as well, and particularly in Virginia, um, the candidates running, I would ask them what they're hearing on the doors, and almost everyone said abortion. And the other issue was education, and it mm. was really bothering voters that these that these like right wingers were trying to politicize their classrooms, and they just wanted their kids to learn. And they also felt they felt like teachers were under attack, and it was a constant theme. And you know, when you hear it enough. Um, Jordan when you hear like when I think I talked to like 18 candidates and almost every single one of them had something a similar way of describing it it was really resonant and it is something that you know all of a sudden these schools have become this battleground and a lot of it had to do with Glenn Youngkin and his 2021 no. campaign and, and you, you wrote about that in, in your piece last uh, yesterday but um, it really has become this it, it, there are two pieces of one is of course the vouchers trying to privatize public schools but the other piece of it is really this kind of insidious effort to um, indoctrinate students and, and prevent them from actually learning. And that just really doesn't sit well with most parents outside of their little kind of cult of that little mom's <sighs> liberty cult.
5: I mean, yeah, I think it's, there's an element of like, uh, you know, people want their kids just to be left alone to learn. Right. And yeah, like yeah. the people still believe in like, you know, education and making your way up to the United States. And if you degree, uh, disagree on tax policy, you can disagree on foreign policy. You can disagree on a whole lot of things, but like reading is reading. Um, and another thing that people spoke to me about was that, you know, it's tough. The stuff that a lot of these people were saying were so out of, you're out of control. Like, you know, this is a deep state fascists so who are trying to control and indoctrinate children. And it's like, These school board members are just your neighbors. And teachers are just, like, people that, you know, have been there for a really long time. And so, you know, there's an element in which Fox News can make people think that, you know, AOC is, you know, a representative from, I don't know, like, communist Cuba or something, and they can, you know, they can slander people, you know, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, but, I mean, board of education uh, members are mostly just, like, parents. Um, Sometimes it's weird old people who uh, (laughs) have nothing to do, but it's mostly just parents, and it's your neighbors, and so you're not going to, like... You know it's hard to suspect them or accuse them of being like agents of like the islamic state or agents of the gay you know mafia so i think like that that caught up with them i mean maybe if they were trying to be more subtle about it it would have uh they would have gotten more support but i mean you know you can't cry wolf and you know i don't know, cry, you know they they didn't just cry wolf they, cry, they cried like uh alien invasion
2: yeah yeah and <laughs> such a great way of putting it and and it is it's um but to me it's kind of one of those things that um you know the best thing that happened in a weird way one of the best things that happened is that they did get so much attention and that they had these you know um sparks of success in places because like like all right uh, you know Jordan, I am like the biggest dork when it comes to pop culture. <laughs> but I, I, and I admit it, I, you know, people ask me about music and, and which is always funny doing this show because John is just so fluent nah. in all of it. Um, but, you know, Pink is in Florida and she did a, um, she brought, she brought books, banned books to Florida. She was giving away yep. banned books. And I saw a tweet tonight. She's still on Twitter. Ha, 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 MAGA cult is mad tonight, y'all. Their panties are in quite a bunch. They really just like being challenged. They get even angry when they can't silence you. Oh, well, read banned books. And I was like, okay, now it's become part of popular culture, which is, I think, really important, too. Like, no one wants to be, you know, that uncool that you support banning books. <laughs>
5: Well, i think there's an element of like you know traditionally right-wing people are right they're the ones who I remember a few years ago they were obsessed with dr seuss being canceled right they're the yeah. ones who have been so obsessed with this like loss of freedom and i think that um you know they have crossed over to just being the people that persecute and i think there's you know a there's a, a way in which you know democrats and and progressives can say hey look we're actually the party of freedom and that's something i've argued a lot but you know yeah. beyond that like these are they were going after such insane things to go after, you know, that that's that's the thing. It's like, are you going to even when they started with the it was horrible, with the transgender kids and, uh, you know, uh, athletics like that was a debate that I guess some people took seriously and had you know trouble with. And um, could, you could see, I mean, I did not see both sides, but then you get into like teachers are trying to make kids gay and you know they are trying to make white kids i think like i don't know into slaves i was i think one of the things i read it's like it's just not going to happen but i think in what you said is uh, correct it's good that it got attention because republicans and conservatives are always scheming they're always up to something they're always trying to like uh take us take people by surprise like these freaks are always trying to take people by surprise and a lot of times um you know democrats and, and normal people um and that usually goes hand in hand um those people are they're just kind of living their lives and then something like this has to happen for people to be like, "Oh shoot in the same way that like people started getting uh interested in state legislatures once the republicans took them all over and so it's one of these things where like uh it's a wake-up call and you wish it didn't have to happen this way but i don't think things are going back to normal and like you know people just start ignoring school boards again i think it's going to be something that people are very active in
2: well i'll give you an example um aaron reed who writes a great substack Erin the morning yep. uh, i've been able to interview aaron as well um she has a a piece today about uh, a, a transgender boy who had the leading male role in the high school play oklahoma in sherman independent school district in oklahoma right hmm. and the school board <laughs> said he couldn't have the role and there was a huge public outcry 60 people spoke at a um, at the school board meeting and then they not only uh, agreed that he could that Max, the young boy, could assume his role. They also issued an official apology. But it's like, wow. Jesus Christ, like that's the kind of thing a school board's worrying about, uh, yeah, get a, a, people. A, a, a kid having a role in Oklahoma. But you know, but that's but but that's what these people do, and and again, it's the kind of thing it shows how freaky they are and how obsessed they are. And once you can put a spotlight on it, you know, you get scores of people. I bet sixty people have never shown up at the Sherman School Board meeting. But it just goes to show how important those races are too. And overall, um, Jordan, last week, I mean. I, you know, I, I have to say I was I was doing live coverage and, you know, it's always <laughs> risky doing live coverage because you're like, well, it could go one way or the other. But I was feeling pretty good about things heading in. And and you wrote a piece, Another Shocking Election Night. And uh, <laughs> it was just one of the things I like, too, is it just it was just like it really showed, you know, the media. Um, Jamison Foser uh, was writing about the, the fact that The New York Times was obsessed with their poll last week and yeah. they had 51 different articles podcasts or columns yeah. about their poll and i'm like you know jesus christ and then uh, the election night happened and it was like they couldn't make sense of it like it was like right. <laughs> it did not compute but but um but you know and you know you pay attention to these local races they're so freaking important yeah you know it's, it's interesting.
5: the new york times poll i mean i don't think it um it's certainly i think biden's in trouble and i but I think yeah. it's biden who's in trouble and i don't think that means like democrats overall are in trouble um i think that it, which is ironic because in a lot of ways they said oh biden's the number one who can who can uh you know lift all democrats up and maybe that's the case of 2020 um we'll see what happens obviously he's uh, there's a long way to go but you know i think there's this element of like all right well uh People forget that races are local. Races have yep. uh, different aspects to them. Like if you're in Virginia, you have certainly different things on your mind than maybe what's going on with uh, you know, federal government and inflation. Um, and I apologize if you hear a sign in the back; that's maybe in live in New York. But um, there, yeah, there's there's things like in New Jersey, right? There's uh, other issues that matter, whether it's a property tax, whether it's you know um, schools there. So, you know, it's elections still. You know, in a lot of ways, they've national, but there's still a lot of really important issues that are local. You know, um, and I would say that, like again, we have only seen you know so many races. I mean, Kentucky they ran a total freak show again. <laughs> Republicans yeah. and Andy Bashir is very popular. So I think if anything, Biden's still maybe in trouble, but doesn't mean that you know the entire party is going to go down with him, um, or you know, like maybe the entire party will lift him up. So I do think that there's these narratives that they get stuck on, and it's unfortunate because that does to some degree seem to shape. Um, coverage, and then sometimes shapes elections. Luckily, it didn't this time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of Biden, I, I, I was just um, talking to one of our callers, Sean, and, and I have to say, um, one of I think one of the most significant things Biden has done in the past few weeks, we show up at that UAW picket line. Yeah. And, and I, 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 anytime I say this, I, 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 I date myself, but I remember when Reagan came in, and fired the union workers. And he really Mm -hmm. set the country and certainly I think politics on an anti-union path that we've been dealing with for 40 plus years. And, um, you know, a lot of promises were made over the decades to union workers that never came through. And we finally um, have unions showing their strength. And I have to say, just because of, I, I find some of the leaders to be so just savvy and smart. Sean mm-hmm. Fain at UAW, Sean O'Malley at the Teamsters, and a lot of the workers that you've been meeting out in Amazon front lines and Starbucks. I'm just so impressed with it. Um, and you cover it pretty closely. What's your big picture take um, of, of how things are proceeding and, and just kind of the mood of organizers?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable to see how much Biden has gone in on it. And I don't know how much of it's like, Oh, I need to be reelected and I need certain, you know, it kind of works well with his idea of having, you know, Midwestern white working class base. Um, but you know, either way credit to them. Obviously there's, there's a lot of reasons to be, uh, upset with the administration right now, but uh, I don't think you can take away from the the effort on labor. It's been pretty remarkable to see just how open and blunt and in favor it's been. You know, I remember the Obama years, um, you know, there was an element of like, yeah, arms length, right. Give him an arm's (laughs) length can't get the car check thing done. Um, you know, Obviously, Biden couldn't get pro-act done, but that was not with a supermajority, the way Obama was. Uh, you know, Clinton uh, had labor allies, but certainly didn't do much for them. And so it's been really interesting to see. I mean, Biden has brought in people over and over again uh, to, from the labor movement to the White House to have conversations with them from Amazon or Starbucks or UAW. Uh, they're, they're sending people from Bluebell, uh, which is an uh, auto-oose, a, a school bus manufacturer in Georgia that unionized having trouble getting a contract as are many places, but they're going to the white house. And I think that goes to show that they're not just going out and it's great to be on the, it's great to be on the picket line, but they're actually like go listening and talking to people about what's happening in organizing. And I think that makes a big difference because you know, that there's an ally there and you know, that like, you know, Biden is not obviously going to weigh in on every race and he's not going to do um, all, you know, he's not going to be uh, putting his finger on the, I guess on the scale necessarily for everybody, but there's no one of like, it's not, um, you're not you're not going entirely uphill you have someone who's going to like help maybe like you know uh put a little pressure on the automakers put a little pressure on ups um and so i think it makes a big difference and i think in terms of organizing like at more perfect union we get so many emails every day almost so bad we're not able to cover all of them or even respond to all of them there's people like you know we're having trouble here we want to organize or um you know we there's like five thousand of us who work at a college who decided to unionize or they you know we are now starting to walk out to this fast food place somewhere and also involved in terms of like officially organizing a union, nlrb union and just the actions i mean there's going to be actions and um there's going to be actions like people starting walking out on cyber monday and amazon so it's really springing up in a lot of places even if it isn't uh formerly nlrb stuff so it's been exciting to see and you know um hopefully it keeps going
2: yeah, I I have to say I I feel like it is it's just been I mean like I said I felt like for decades that you know workers were getting the shaft and now workers are saying, we're not playing that game anymore. And, you know, there was there was a lot of fretting. Oh, if if UAW gets what it wants, what's going to happen? Well, you know, guess what? Workers are going to make more money. And um, that's a good thing. And maybe some billionaires won't make as much. But you know what? That's a good thing, too. <laughs> and yeah. John Fain, the UAW president, has just he's just been pretty clear about that i have to say i i love the way he talks about eating the rich and uh it just been, i just have been so impressed but let's talk it's, just go ahead go ahead uh, no yeah, no talk no talk. i
5: mean sean o'brien i was getting to fight about mark wayne mullen getting 10 you know, uh, <laughs> the oklahoma senator who challenged him to a fight today in the senate um this willingness to to fight this willingness to be outspoken a willingness to just you know say what you mean and i think it engenders a lot of trust from workers and inspires a lot you know we see people uh in non-union plants honda tesla whatever they're starting to organize and so that sort of charismatic leader is not just for a great contract it's for an entire industry i
2: i, I was going to ask you about it i i said his name wrong i used another irish name it's sean o'brien i um it's such an irish name and uh yeah <laughs> uh, but like mark wayne Mullen went to fight him and this is the second time because part of it is I feel like because Sean O'Brien goes to these hearings and it was, and he's like he's got no fucks to give he's like I don't you know like you know all these Republicans try and bully him and he's like <laughs> whatever I'm a what teamster do I, I don't care like and, and even his Twitter handle is Teamster SOB it's yeah. like i love it and it, it just shows how i just you know I, I saw oh christ i saw um uh afterwards um mark wayne mullen was um interviewed and he wrote and he said i'm still a guy i was like dude you were pathetic like this is so pathetic yeah well, you know, mark wayne mullen i guess he used to do
5: mma fighting which um i guess it entitles him to fight people the, the uh the floor of the senate i guess i don't know but um it it is funny how mad he gets. And this idea that like he's being challenged is is, like uh, his entitlement to the world. And Mark Reed Mullen is a guy who inherited his business from his father, uh, his playing business. This is not a guy who's a self-made man. He makes himself into um, some genius business guru. Really. He just inherited a a business from his dad and then sold it for a lot of money and used the money to represent it. And so he's challenging uh, this guy, Sean O'Brien uh, to a fight, and Mark Raymond can sound tough stuff as he wants. He can do MMA fighting, but it, Sean O'Brien like made his life as a teamster sort of driving trucks. Right there's not he is not going to be intimidated by some like nepo baby who is now going to the uh, who bought a seat in Oklahoma where you can't lose the Republican. And so I think they they are pissed off that someone isn't uh, afraid of them. Someone is not. You know, cowering to them. There's not union leaders that were you know trying to play both sides so they could uh, hopefully keep some contracts with a a state government. And I think that makes a big difference. I think that shows like, hey, if your leader is willing to like punch a guy on the floor of the Senate, then uh, you can you can tell your boss to shove off.
2: Absolutely right, and it is. It is. uh, It's just been great to see. and uh um and at the u a w and and, like I said, I mean, some of the Starbucks workers and some of the Amazon workers too, they've just been so inspiring because they're like, "You know what we're not playing that game anymore, and really, it is one of those things that upsets that dynamic on Capitol Hill because Republicans just do not know what to do when um people don't Kowtow to them. It's really fascinating, especially the labor movement, and they think they've snowed them for so long. Jordan, I could talk to you all night, but I gotta take a break <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> when, when i was chatting with chris he said do you, do you think you know you guys will be able to talk for 20 minutes i said it would be hard for us just to talk for 20 minutes <laughs> seriously
5: <laughs> keep going keep going
2: um but anyways uh Jordan Zaccard, where's the best place to find you these days
5: uh you know i guess you could uh, follow the newsletter progressreport.substack.com um i don't I hate telling people to go to uh the site formerly known as twitter but i'm on there just my name at Jordan Zakarn, and then working for more perfect union been there since Really, the start, which is uh, two and a half years now, and yeah. uh, we are more perfect U.S. on uh, X, the site known as X now, um, and just be posting up a storm.
2: Absolutely, thanks so much, Jordan. It's always, always, always great to talk to you. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available.
2: Manish in New Jersey. How are you, Manish?
4: Hey, Joe. How you doing? Um, glad to talk to you again in a different hour. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, hearing the moms for liberty, right? Just that phrase. Um, yep. And again, these people—they take things like the word freedom, the word patriot, um, the word liberty, of course. And they just co-opt everything that has good meaning and purpose. And you know, I, I know, I know it's like petty at to some extent, but it really feeds into their cult psyche, right? Like we're fighting for freedom, we're fighting for our children, and all that. Like why? You know, I mean, it's it may be too late in the game to do stuff like this, but why can't we have like you've been involved so heavily in the uh, gun uh, legislation movement? Um, And it seems like they just use stuff like, oh, moms demand action, which is great on the surface. But they're like, oh, it's just women, you know, demanding, feminist, demanding stuff. They just flip the table on us instead of us us saying protect our children, right, or protect our children, uh, keep our children alive. Like, just make it so rudimentary, so basic that, like, how would you argue with that? Are you going to argue with keep our children alive as a movement? No, I mean, I don't know. I, it's just something that uh, that moms for liberty thing. Unfortunately, uh, in our local board of education, we did lose one seat to a, a nitwit who happened to have, you know, uh, specifically in his mailer, a transgender point, which was, you know, really, really hurtful. I thought. Um, I mean, we we've had you know kids in our community uh, that are trans who've faced a lot of issues. Um, uh, on their own or obviously through just the stigma and for this fucker to run and actually have a seat on the board of education is just, you know, shameful commentary on on our little town here uh, for whatever yeah. reason. I don't know why the guy got on there, but hopefully the same thing that happened in Bucks happens here and they get booted off. But I just that, that moms for liberty thing just, you know, finally was and- a tipping point in terms of God. How many names are they going to take away from us?
2: I know, and it, it's and and then we repeat it, and it's like, and it's kind of like, you know, it's like when they say religious liberty. When they say religious liberty, I know they're talking about me. I know they're talking about gay people, right? And and but they use these. It's very Orwellian how they do it. Um, but I did want to say, it looks like there was another win in New Jersey. Amanda Katz won her seat, um, which was not expected to happen. Um, so. In the elections, uh, Democrats picked up six seats in last week. Um, she, her win makes it the sixth one. They were they were counting votes until literally today. She won, I think, by about forty nine votes. Um, oh, which excellent! Is, yeah, the, and the, you know that's what I'm always saying about these state state ledge ra- races. Yeah, well, like of, four,
6: the, of
4: the two seats of the two seats. Sorry, um, the, it was about. Um, Forty five hundred, and then the the winner won by uh, less than a hundred votes. It was a recount, and they the 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 MAGA whatever lunatic Moms for Liberty type of guy won by less than a hundred votes
2: yeah.
4: uh, against someone that was an unknown that came out of nowhere for yeah. a board of education. So on the bright side. Hopefully we we are able to flip the, the script next time. But, yeah, overall, thankfully, we spoke about it last week. You reported on New Jersey doing reasonably well at the state level.
2: Yeah, yeah, and th- th- this this literally, I just I, I I was thinking about it when we were talking about it. I, I, I looked up Amanda Katz because I was like, oh yeah, what happened in her race? And it looks like it was just declared. the uh, The governor just congratulated her, so I was pretty happy about that. Because the, these state ledge races, you know me, you know I get going on them. But but again, school boards, and I I will say, and it's something Jordan was mentioning too. Like people are paying attention to school boards now, and actually, having that 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 creep on your school board will force people. People to pay more attention because they can't help themselves there's never a time when they kind of edit or anything like that it's like trump trump's gonna be talking about vermin and stuff because he thinks it motivates his base okay motivate your base they're 30 percent of the american people the rest of us have to realize what they're doing too thanks for the call um thanks for the updates always good to catch up with you um we're just about at the top of the hour now when we come back after the break We'll get back on the phones because i want to get to as many of you as i can it's always one, it is always one of my favorite things to do um so uh we'll get back on the phones when we come back after the break and as i mentioned the split ticket team is going to be joining us in the next hour too they're really it's i i they're geeks and i love it <laughs> they're political geeks that we can all understand and that that is a valuable skill so we'll be back after the break here on Tell Me Everything, I'm Joe Sudbay. this is Sirius XM Progress.
0: Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
2: Welcome back. This is Tell Me Everything. I'm Joe Sudbay guest hosting for John tonight. And as I mentioned, we're going to talk politics. We're going to talk we're going to talk with some election gurus. That's what I call them. Um and they are from Split Ticket. I have been, I've had the great pleasure of talking to both Laksha, Jane, and Armin Thomas before. I really am glad they could come on because they've done a terrific analysis of 2023 in addition to some amazing, um, I think, predictions of what would happen. And I really want to get their thoughts on 2024. Welcome, welcome back to the show, uh, Laksha and Armin. Thanks for having us. Well, um, glad Lux, you, yeah, I'm glad you could be. I always appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you guys. And, and like I said, I, I always appreciate when I get my uh, split ticket emails and with your thoughts on what's going to happen. So. um, Laksha, let me start with you, um, because you and your uh, colleagues, you did a really good uh, breakdown. You did it with Leon and Harrison Lavelle, of what happened in 2023 and what does it mean for 2024? Let's start with what happened in 2023. I'm interested in your big picture takes of some of the things that really stuck out at you um, in last week's election.
1: Yeah, so... I think one of the things that we were looking for going into this election was we saw through a bunch of small elections throughout the year that Democrats were doing a lot better than what we would have expected. Um, Special elections held throughout the year to fill numerous vacancies in state legislative districts and House districts and congressional districts. All of these indicated that Democrats were actually doing a lot better than the polls would have said they were um especially the polls of Biden versus Trump and so when we were looking at these elections we were curious about a couple things firstly could they sustain that momentum and actually pull off victories in you know races like Kentucky or in the Virginia State Legislature and I think overwhelmingly the answer was yes there's never really one clear picture that can cut through everything but what we continued seeing is that Democrats continue to do very well with independent voters. And, um, you know, they got one of the questions that people had was as turnout goes up, will Democratic margins go down because the less engaged voters come into the electorate? We didn't really see much evidence of that. So what was interesting was that even though polls continue to indicate a close race between Biden and Trump, the election results are not comporting with that a year from now. It could change, but so far there's this inconsistency.
2: Very interesting. And um, one of the things I uh, you know, it, one of the races that didn't get a ton of attention, but it was one of the uh, and, and I actually I do a show on state uh, races and I had gotten to speak to several candidates in Mississippi, um, candidate for attorney general, um, uh, secretary of state and some legislative candidates. They didn't win, but all of them were kind of very upbeat about um, kind of the enthusiasm they were seeing in the state for uh, their gubernatorial candidate and that there really was momentum. And that was, uh, you actually said, one of the big surprises of the night. Uh, Mississippi, talk a little bit about that, because I think it's um, something that has really been kind of underreported.
1: Yeah, Armin, you want to take Mississippi? I think you've done a lot on the southern states of late, so...
6: Yeah, sure. So the first thing, right, is that Mississippi is traditionally a very conservative state. The last time they had a Democrat as governor was, I think, the year I was born, which is 1999. Um, and it's, you know, it's been Republican since then. And Brandon Presley ran the closest race since then, really, uh, you know, in the attempt for Democrats to reclaim that. How did he do it? Well, um, I don't want to repeat that you know Black turnout was good because, I mean, he got really good margins. That's the true story is that the margins he put up were really good. But, you know, Presley did not get as many raw votes as Jim Hood did in 2019, and neither did Tate Reeves this time as he did last time. But in terms of the low turnout electorate, you know, relatively speaking, that we did have, he did extremely well. And then, of course, Presley uh, was related to Elvis and that goes a long way. And he was elected as a public service commissioner uh, in the northern uh, part of the state. And he had a very strong pull with a lot of rural white voters there. And historically, the problem for Democrats in Mississippi is that, uh, you know, they can get to 40 something percent of the vote very easily because they have, you know, a large black voter base and a small base of white liberals, but then basically every other vote. Voter that bothers to show up to the polls is, you know, very conservative and very, you know, rigid in their Republican political leanings as a, you know, long legacy of racial polarization that's, you know, been present in the South. And so Presley was the closest, you know, to come to cracking that. But ultimately, it is still a conservative state and he still fell a little short, but he did, I think, the best that he could have given what was a arrayed against him.
2: Yeah, and I think probably a lot of people were surprised that the margin in Kentucky was bigger than the margin in Mississippi. Uh, Andy Bashir won <laughs> by five points, and uh, Presley, Reeves only won by four and a half. Um, I guess I guess having that whole scandal with um, <laughs> Brett Favre doesn't really help. Apparently, that's a, that's a very big issue in the state. But it, it is interesting, um, you know, as we look at what happened in 2023, how it might pretend for 2024. Now, I mean, you cover... You know, your expertise is Senate races. And um, one of the things I'm interested in, I'm interested in both your takes on, uh, you know, your early thoughts on 2024. But I'm particularly interested, you know, we know there is just a limited amount of battleground states. And one of them is a f- for Senate races. And one of them, of course, is Ohio with Sherrod Brown running again. Um, And then we had the referendum last week in Ohio, Issue 1 and Issue 2, which both won with 56, 57 percent of the vote, uh, abortion rights and legalization of marijuana. Any inferences you can draw from or anything we learned from Ohio in last week that might apply to 2024? (laughs) Is anything?
6: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so... Number one, abortion rights are popular, even in Trump-won states, right? So if Sherrod Brown makes abortion rights and the fight to preserve that a big centerpiece of his campaign, it's not going to hurt him. You know, I mean, it might not help him with, you know, some, you know, segments of the electorate, but on balance, it will help him, right? Because a lot of people who are really engaged in politics have that as a very big issue of theirs. Um... The second is that if you look at the coalition maps of issue one and issue two, um, there's a lot uh, on the issues themselves, there's a lot of depolarization um, relative to how a presidential map is. And given that, you know, the. when, when you look at maps of ballot questions like this, they tend to be leading indicators of where partisanship is going to go towards. And just given the circumstances of the campaign and how much that issue one and issue two won by in a state as, you know, now conservative as Ohio, Brown is still in a tough race, but it's looking a lot better for him. And then the other thing I would add is that when it comes to, you know, those ancestrally Democratic rules in Eastern and in Southern Ohio, um, Kentucky is very similar in a lot of cultural ways to that. And so the fact that, you know, Andy Bashir did not, you know, lose 20 points of ground in most of those counties, I'd say is a good sign. Right. So. You know, it's a different state and all, but, you know, I want you to hear me out because in 2015, when Matt Bevan flipped the governorship, he did so primarily by, you know, massive swings from the previous governor's race and from the 2014 Senate race that kind of presaged what was happening with Donald Trump in working class white America. And so if we saw that kind of thing happen again with, you know, huge rural defections, I would be very, very worried about Brown's Appalachian numbers. And I mean, he's going to obviously lose some from 2018. But I think that he is, as of now, relative to vibes, in the best position for re-election since we've you know initially you know staked our prognostications on the board.
2: It's really interesting. Can, can I just ask one thing? And this may not be something that fits into your purview, um, but you know, over the last few days, we've seen that Ohio Republicans in the legislature—it's a heavily gerrymandered state are trying to figure out ways to undermine uh, what the voters did last week, both on abortion rights and uh, marijuana legalization. How, uh, how, do, uh, how does that, uh, and, you know, and, and, and again, maybe something you guys haven't even thought about, but how does something like that, um, such a rebuke, if, if, if they try to follow through in, to it, um, impact, or w- what, what impact could it have, if any?
1: So I think generally with things like this what we see again and again is that the higher the salience and the more the more overwhelming the support for an issue is the bigger the penalty when you try to go against it. Okay. And Ohio is a Trump one state, yes, but people forget that it's not Trump plus 20, Trump plus 25, it's a Trump plus 8 state. And that means, really speaking, that considering that issue one won by about fourteen points, there are a lot of Trump supporting, um, a lot of Trump supporting people who really value the right to an abortion being legal. And what we see over and over is that when the parties overreach on a certain issue, there are sustained and serious backlashes to it because, at the end of the day, voters are people, and if you push them so far. They're going to push back eventually. And I think in 22, one of the big things that we saw when we were forecasting was that a lot of Republican candidates basically said, no matter what we do, people will only vote based on their thoughts of Joe Biden. That didn't exactly work out because voters tend to view things as a choice increasingly rather than as a referendum. So if the electorate, if the representatives do try overturning the ballot referendum, Considering it passed by fourteen points in such a heavily, um, you know, heavily advertised referendum, and such a high turnout one, it would be, I think, very, very bad for Ohio Republicans if they tried something like
2: that. Interesting. Thank, that, that's really interesting. And when you say salience, you mean the kind of intensity that voters have uh, uh, about a certain issue. Is that is that is that, that is that is that, is that, that a correct. layman's way of saying it? <laughs>
1: Yes, the awareness and the sentiment intensity.
2: Okay. Um, So, Laksh, let me ask you, because I saw you uh, on Twitter last week when uh, Joe Manchin um, said he was retiring. And uh, there was a lot of kind of chatter from some of, uh, you know, kind of the D.C. chattering class, which I one of the reasons I like you guys so much is because you're not part of that.
0: <laughs> is,
2: <laughs> um, that it was like, oh, this is a big blow for Democrats. And, and you were like, actually, it doesn't change anything. Uh, talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So West Virginia, when Joe Manchin won in a blue wave landslide four, five, six years ago, 2018, in West Virginia, it was one of the greatest electoral feats of the century and he still only won by 3 points we projected at split ticket we simulated that race under normal circumstances with a generic candidate and we found that a generic candidate would have lost by 28 so you might hear that and you you might say well then doesn't that mean that joe manchin retiring is great news for a democrat and i would say no because that was held in a midterm year there was no presidential race at the top of the ballot And when the president is at the top of the ballot, what we see is that down the line, it doesn't really matter how strong the other candidates are when the president is winning your state by 40. West Virginia is a Trump plus 40 state. Even if Joe Manchin replicated his overperformance in 2020 or in 2024, he would still lose that state by 10 or 15 points. The question for Democrats was really, are you going to lose West Virginia by 10 or 15 which would be mansion's margin or will you lose it by 41 which was um paula jane swearingen's margin in 2020 and i think you know if you really care about the margins mansion retiring is a disaster but if you just care about the winner or lost thing he was going to lose regardless because it's just a question of how much he lose by it's just too republican of a state and we see ticket splitting is plunged to record low levels to the point where it would just not sustain a mansion victory even if he ran so he made the smart choice i think
2: so Armin, um, you talk about a state that, you know, we talk about ticket splittings become less of an issue. Um, Let's head out to Montana. Uh, John Tester on the ballot. Um, He's won some very tough races. The last time he won, obviously, was 2018, which, you know, was not a presidential year. Um, What 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 are you thinking about uh, that state at this point?
6: so right now i believe we still have the race as a toss-up i think we're going to keep it there um one of the things that obviously is going to determine whether Tesla wins or loses is who's going to come out of that republican primary and the two big people that are you know going to probably be in contention for that are tim sheehy you know the navy seal you know, central casting Republican that you know the guys in D.C. want, and then Matt Rosendale, who I still don't think he's actually announced, but it's widely assumed that he is going to run, and he's got very much you know the MAGA anti-establishment lane locked down. Um, so if she he wins the primary. Tester is probably going to lose, and we're going to move the race to leans Republican. If Rosendale wins, so we'd keep it a toss-up for the main reason that Rosendale is a bad enough candidate to lose in 2018. Now, granted, this is a presidential year. The dynamics are a little bit different, but Tester is an incumbent. And uh, in 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 a state like Montana, right, that goes a very, very long way. Um you know, where tester has had, you know, three terms and a good chance to uh, actually make a really big name for himself. See the, in my opinion, the difference between Tester and Mansion is that back in 2006 and 2012, right, when he first won, and even in 2018, Montana was not really a, you know, a blue state down ballot. You know, it elected Democrats here and there, but it was not, you know, true blue, Ancestral Democratic in the same way that Manchin's West Virginia was right. The last time Manchin was on the ballot in a presidential year was in 2012 and Republicans did not really exist at a statewide level in West Virginia at the time. And one by one, you know, the the statewide Democrats have lost every single race since 2016, except for Manchin's, whereas Tester has been the one guy toughing it out. Even in 2006, even in 2012, he's run those tough races. And that was with them really trying to take him out, whereas they didn't really try to take him out with Manchin. So can he do it? Yes. Um, do I think that, you know, the issue profiles of abortion and stuff could help him? Yes. But it's going to be really, really tough. Right. I think he and Brown are going to be, you know, the two toughest people that are going to try to you know have to take it on the chin if they want to actually win. So we'll see what happens. Um, well, I, it, we really don't have a ton of new information coming out of Montana. So uh, our outlook has mostly been the same
2: well it it's interesting cuz um, montana like um ohio had their referendum this year montana in 2022 had an abortion referendum it was one of the five states to vote and it, i think the it the 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 pro abortion side um it was an anti abortion referendum but the pro abortion side pro uh choice side won with about 53% of the vote so i i, I would imagine that that salience factor that laksha was meant, mentioning has been issued. and it is one issue that um you know uh tester's tester and he can be <laughs> he, he can be a little uh you know uh, independent which is good because he has to be from that state but um on abortion he's always been very clear down the line and there is that kind of libertarian- Montana's kind of, yeah it, right very you yeah, know leave you alone bit. and yeah.
6: Well, I mean, Montana's just a you know a classic. You know, it's got those vibes of an old western state where you know you kind of leave you know live by yourself and you do what you do for yourself and you don't want anybody else to interfere with that. And uh, you know sometimes that cuts in favor of Democrats and sometimes it cuts in favor of Republicans. And the way that the current issue lines have been drawn is that you know the Democrats don't want to be the ones telling you what to do with your body, and that you know seems like something that would help test it.
2: So um, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about the presidential race. And I mean, I know the whole world, well, not the whole world, but the New York Times, 51 times in the past week, <laughs> promoted in its own publications its poll. I know it's not the only poll that ever existed, although some would make it seem that way this past week. But you are looking with very clear eyed towards um the 2024 elections, and uh, it, there's something you said earlier. Um, it's it's a choice. It's going to be a choice election, and the choice is going to be Joe Biden and probably Donald Trump. Um, so you've you've got a map with your ratings. You have a number of states that are toss ups. Um, I know it's just a it's a year out, but um, in either one of you can take this. Give us your thoughts at. No, as of November 14th, 2023. I think
1: for the presidential race, the average polling error about, you know, one year out is something like eight or nine points. (laughs) And that's why I don't really look at the polls as much right now. I think polling has a lot of value, but I think polls this far out, it really depends on the sample frame you get, depends on the voters you're able to reach in your sample. Um, it's to say, and it also doesn't really indicate how the race will end up because the campaigns haven't started yet. Remember that there's a long time to go, and there are two or three criminal trials of Donald Trump that are about to start. I think what polls right now show is that the country is very unhappy and specifically very unhappy, not only with Joe Biden, but with the choice that's presented in front of them. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get two nominees that are very, very unpopular, which will probably open the door to a third party not winning, but getting a higher share of the vote than normal. But I think that's about all I feel comfortable saying right now, because... There are some people on Twitter who are ready to proclaim the election is done in favor of Donald Trump. There are some people who are saying, oh, no, he's going to jail. Biden's definitely going to win. I don't know that I subscribe to either view. I think that when the campaign takes shape, voters will view it as a choice between Biden and Trump, especially because Trump will be in the news more. And once that happens, I would tilt towards Biden mainly because we have a lot of evidence now that since 2020, Donald Trump's brand has degraded a lot. You saw it in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court race that, you know, Republicans are struggling a lot in a post-ops, post-January 6th era um, when, you know, in pivotal swing states like that. You saw it in Michigan in 2022 when the Republicans ran election deniers. You saw Doug Mastriano and Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania flop. And you saw, you know, even in the Wisconsin, Wisconsin Supreme Court race when they nominated someone who was a January 6th co-conspirator, the Republicans lost badly. And so I think that when you see Donald Trump's ideological allies fail time and time and time again, it just gives me pause to think, okay, is Donald Trump going to be the one running on the same exact platform, less popular than he was four years ago? Is he going to be the one to magically reverse his favorabilities and do a lot better? It's possible because Biden is really unpopular, but I just hesitate to write his obituary right now because of that. I think it's going to be close. And I think given everything we know and the election results we've had i would still tilt towards biden
2: yeah Uh, uh, thoughts on that armin
6: sorry i i agree with basically everything you just said i mean i think polls are saying something and biden obviously has campaign weaknesses that he needs to fix right now but. He has time to do it, and also a lot of people are just not tuning in right now. So if these numbers still hold up in, in June, yeah, I would be very, very concerned. But right now you have to remember that a lot of people just aren't paying attention right now.
2: Yeah, let me let me just ask you that because I I I I am of that mind. I mean, look, I am a dork. I pay attention to this. I like I I, I host on this channel. I spend you know I subscribe to to your newsletter and so many others. Um, but when do like normal people start tuning in? I mean, everyone knows there's an election next year, and to- you you can't escape Donald Trump. I mean, he's front and center. He's on trial. He's you know, this past weekend he was spewing Nazi rhetoric, which the media is actually reporting on. But when do like people start realizing, okay, I'm going to have to make this choice? When does it really start to become real, and and, and that we should start actually paying much closer attention to polling?
1: I think usually we see that people start caring about the stuff around late spring or summer of the election year is when it really solidifies that's after a campaign cycle for the primaries that's once these candidates have been elevated front and center i mean right now remember that Donald Trump isn't even at the republican debates so once the campaign happens once is you know once all, all these events start happening Typically in the past, we've seen that people, polls start becoming more predictive around May, May or June of that year. And I think that really reflects when people actually start paying attention because, look, normal, sane people probably do not want to think about an election that's a year from now when they have many other things to do with their lives.
2: (laughs) Right, right. Absolutely. So, okay. So... Well, let me just ask you this, and I want to ask both of you. So, let me start with you, Armin. Okay, so we are November fourteenth. When you're, out, what are some of the things you're going to be watching for over the next days and weeks, as um, and you know months as we roll into twenty twenty four? What would you um, suggest uh, our listeners who are like many as, as geeky as us, to be honest? Um, and I say that with love. Um, Uh, What what would you advise them to keep an eye out for uh, as we roll into 2024?
6: Um, Well, uh, I think obviously the state of the economy is the big one. A, A lot of the big ambivalence about Biden is driven by, you know, the sentiment that the economy is not doing well. And, you know, By the metrics that objectively the economy has recovered, you know, in a pretty decent manner from the pandemic, but because things are mostly still more expensive than they were in 2019, the average person still thinks the economy is not good. Now, is that going to go away? I'm not an economics expert by any sense, but I tend to think... It you know, is that that is a more difficult problem to solve than than inflation. But, you know, tracking consumer sentiment I think is is definitely um something big. And then of course, you know, the United States has a lot of different foreign, you know, crises that it's not directly engaged in, but are, you know, sort of on the back burner. And if that escalates and starts to involve America in any major way. You know, we saw what happened with uh, Afghanistan, right? You know, that was Biden fulfilling the campaign promise, right, to end Afghanistan, and the voters rewarded him uh, and the Democratic Party with with a drubbing in November of 2021, right? So foreign policy that goes well doesn't necessarily hurt the incumbent, but if it goes badly, then it could, you know, become a really, really big issue. Um, So I think those are two things that I would say a Should you have anything else you'd add to that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing that I would watch, Armin, I'm going to add on to your foreign policy line is that we rarely make election choices based on what's happening in another country. It has to be something that directly impacts U.S. interests over and over and over again. Um, in 2004, the reason that George Bush enjoyed such a big boost was, you know, because 9-11 happened in the United States. But 2012, 2016, 2020, and any of the elections before that, really, up until 1968, Vietnam none of them really hinged around foreign policy that much. And if you go back to 68, why did Lyndon B. Johnson have to drop out? Why was he so unpopular? Because Americans were constantly going to Vietnam and dying. I think Israel-Palestine is a very complicated issue, so I, I don't want to get into the specifics of that. But what I will say is that everyone talking about how young voters are going to abandon Joe Biden over this, et cetera, that would cut against basically every bit of precedent that we've seen. Um voters overwhelmingly do care about this in the short term about foreign policy in the short term, but when it comes time to vote, we see that voters care about things more centered in America. And whether that's a good thing or not, only other people will weigh in on it. I won't, but I just tend to read these news articles about foreign policy with a sense of sadness and a sense of context that these things matter because of the news that they are, not necessarily because of the election outcomes that they're going to produce, because they're not really impacting elections very much.
2: Really, that's fascinating. I, I um, really appreciate uh, both of you spending time with us tonight, Laksha Jain and Armin Thomas. Where's the best place to find you? I know Split Ticket, split-ticket.org is the website, and that's... I just think an invaluable resource people should sign up for it um, where else can people find you
1: yeah well Armin's on Twitter at Thorongil16 which is um, you know T-H-O-R-O-N-G-I-L 16 and then I'm on Twitter at LXEagle17 so if folks want to check us out there that's also great but thank you so much for having us on Joe it's always a pleasure talking to you, you
2: No, know, I really I really appreciate it thank you both Armin yeah, thank and Lakshas